fresh every Tuesday for MSPs around the world. Around the world. This is Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast. Don't be too sad, but it's the final of our three summer specials this week, and we have an incredible interview to finish with. I want to introduce you to a big thinker who has so many good ideas about how to grow your MSP. Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast. Hey everyone, I'm Scott Riley. I'm the founder of CloudNexus. Uh, we're a very niche and bespoke MSP that focuses around Microsoft 365 and Azure services. We've made it our very special little niche. And what a great niche to be in. Thank you for joining me on the podcast, Scott. It's taken us so many months to get you on your calendar, my calendar. We first met at the SuperOps Super Conference back in uh, earlier this year in, in London, which was a great event. And you were on stage and I was on stage at separate times, which meant we got to sit and watch each other talk, which was pretty cool. And normally when I get a guest onto the podcast, it's because there's a specific subject to talk about. With you, I think you're just one of those MSP owners who is up for trying things, who's looking at different ways to to run the business, to try different things. And I thought it would just be worth getting you on talking about some of the things that you've done to build your business, some of the mistakes you've made, and just to explore some of the ways that you're operating right now, because you're, you're operating a little bit different from the average MSP that I speak to. So first of all, just give us a little bit of background. So what's your story? How did you get started? What Bring, bring us up to date of, of what, what you did to get through to 2023. Oh, sure thing. So I'll, I'll give you the real potted history because I figured out the other day I've been in what we would call IT services or MSP for about 24 years. Um, so it's been a while. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I still look terribly young and fresh. I understand. Um, but it's a simple thing. I started in very technical roles uh, a long time ago. Uh, and what they figured out very quickly was I was actually quite good at chatting to people. Um, and so they started to move me around and put me into positions like pre-sales and then Pre-sales also needed an engineering management role. So I, I sort of ran pre-sales and engineering. And back in the day, that was for sort of big telcos. So we were doing like leased lines and DSL when it came along. Um, I used to run FreeServe, uh, if anyone remembers that, the old yeah. dial-in internet that we had here in the UK. It was free internet. It was unheard of with dial-up modems. Um, but I did very technical roles for quite a while. And then eventually kind of worked my way up into the, the sort of management and pre-salesy type things dealing with clients and, and really getting to see what did they want out of technology and what what were we doing as a business. Um, and part of that was exciting in that you got to then sort of work on the productization. What could we make that would be really interesting for customers? Um, so I floated around with some of the big MSPs here in the UK. So some of the brands, uh, pretty much all of them have been bought by Daisy by this stage. Um, but people like Phoenix, people like uh, GCI, people like GX Networks, um, Vialtus was probably one of the most popular brands used to be called Pipex. We got David Hasselhoff uh, to advertise for us on television, which I thought was absolutely incredible. So, so you know, going through all of those for quite a while. The, the bigger thing I did most recently before this was I worked for an MSP where we grew their cloud business from zero to a 34 million pound revenue stream. So call that about 40, 43 million dollar revenue stream from nothing. Um, and we basically borrowed half a million from the, the board, 
went out, bought all the equipment, hired some staff, started, you know, getting contracts in, trained the sales team, teach everyone what this cloud thing was and compete a bit with Microsoft 365. Um, and we did that for seven years uh, before we eventually sold that business on uh, to a PE firm for about 265 million. So again, call it about $300 million, pretty significant at that stage. I had a teeny tiny shareholding in that business. Um, and I'd been there for seven years. And when we sold, I thought, you know what, now's the time. Um, and it was mostly spurred on by the fact that the, the main person who owned our business, um, he was only going to get 99 million pounds out of this deal. Um, and right towards the end, he got very grumpy and upset because it's only 99 million and I want 100 million. Um, <laughs> and would go around to try and in encourage people, and I'm using air quotes, encourage people um, to give back some of their shares so that he could get to that, that number. Now, at that stage, I genuinely just thought, you know what, if I'm, if I'm going to work for someone and that someone's going to be a bit of a, a burk, it may as well be me. So let's, let's go do this. And I'd had the idea for Cloud Nexus back in 2012. Um, this was now 2019. Um, and it, it was just about time. Um, financially, we were stable. The, the family were good. We were in a good place. It was the right time to start a business. And the big thing that I'd learned is that we shouldn't be competing with Microsoft 365, is that we should actually be embracing it. And that was where Cloud Nexus was born. Okay. Pause there. As the host of a podcast, you, you have to kind of remember things you want to go back and talk about while, while not losing the track of where we're going. Talk about a, a bomb of things to, to, to delve into there. So okay. this, is, this is what I do. I'm sorry. That's okay. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is what makes you fun. Uh, so first thing first, uh, free serve. So MSPs outside the UK probably won't know the name, but here in the UK, it, it was, I guess it was our, our British equivalent of AOL, wasn't it? Because you, you had really like a was. gazillion free serve CDs going out all the time. And wasn't, wasn't FreeServe bought by Dixons? Am I right in saying that? Yeah, ab well? absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was yeah. it was ultimately owned by those guys. Yeah. Yeah. So and, and obviously it's it's you know it's vanished now. It's 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 absolutely nothing now. But yeah, there was a there was a period of time where you couldn't open any magazine ever without a FreeServe CD falling out, <laughs> similar to AOL in the States. So that's the first thing. Second thing, you hired the Hoff. You hired David Hasselhoff. <laughs> So have you met have you met him? That's the big question. No, I missed him. He came to our office um, and I was up in one of the other offices at the time, but he came and he he did a whole photo shoot. He was lovely. He met everybody. But it was weird because we had giant like half-size cardboard cutouts of him in every office after that. Um, and I, I actually know one of the ladies I work with took one of them home because <laughs> she she loved the Hoff so much. But yeah, we we um sponsored the release of a single Get in My Car. Um, I remember with that. him yeah. yeah 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 well you're welcome yeah. or, or not um but yeah so we had these crazy adverts advertising our our internet services i say this was right at the start of, of dsl and you know getting that out to the the majority of the users here and, and replacing old dial-up so it was it was a while back but yeah wow great great to have the hoff on board so i this is so sad that i know this but um i was a radio presenter about the same i think around about the same time that that song came out or if, if the timing isn't quite right i was i this is certainly a fact I've learned since, which was that because obviously David Hasselhoff, our younger our younger listeners and viewers are thinking, 
What? Who are these two old guys? And who the hell are they talking about? <laughs> so David Hasselhoff was was the legend of the eighties. You know, he was Knight Rider, um, Baywatch. Yeah, uh, that was pretty much it, I think. And, that was yeah, but uh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> but um, he, he um, I, the fact I know about that song "Get in Your Car" was it was the first time he'd sat in a in a Trans Am like kit. Uh, Kit being the car from Knight Rider for about seven years. It was kind of a bit of a reunion for him doing the video for that. I seem to remember that was a fact that I picked up somewhere. So, uh, yeah, yeah. We well, it, that would have been us because we hired a, a Kit lookalike for him to jump into as part of the, the whole campaign. Do you hear that sound? It's my mind blowing. <laughs> um, final thing I wanted to pick up, and, and this does lead directly back into some business and marketing stuff, okay. which apparently is what we're talking about. Um, so you you took part in a business which went from a half a million pound loan to, yes. did you say it was 30? Well, it was, 34 it was like, million. 34 yeah. million. And it sold for... Uh, so, well, the entire business sold for 265 million. So okay. cloud wasn't the only thing that we did. They had a, a well-established sort of network business, a bit of data center business and some small IT services. But what they didn't have was any cloud capability at that time. But, but you, you, you were there from, from a, a, a not massive amount of debt turning into a, a 38 million pound a year business, which is insane over a seven year yes. period. And I think anyone would look at that and say, well, that's impressive. Even if your, your former boss was just one, one million short of his, of his, of his six figure sum <laughs> that he wanted to, um, to, to crow about. And I can understand why he would want to do that. That's a very different origin story to most MSPs. So most MSPs, they are, are a tech or, or have, have come at it from a service delivery point of view and then decide, have that entrepreneurial seizure and decide, I want to do this my own way. Obviously, you've come at it from having watched how uh, a, a business has orientated itself around building value, which is a completely different way of doing it. How did that... So you only started Cloud Nexus, I think you said uh, 2019. So it's only four yeah. years ago. How has that changed the way that you have approached building your business? Oh, it's it's everything. Everything I've learned in those previous businesses is is what we're pouring into Cloud Nexus. Um, simple things. I say simple. It sounds simple to me because I've I've been through the experience, I suppose. But you're absolutely right. When I, when I moved from uh, what was Phoenix at the time, again now Daisy, uh, and I moved across to GCI now. NASTAR, I want to say. Um, apologies to our American audience, all these UK uh, MSPs. Um, but as, as I moved, I was currently responsible for looking after the, the cloud platform, the revenue streams, the products and services inside Phoenix for cloud. I was hired to move into this new MSP because they had zero cloud and they wanted to know what should they be doing? What should they be buying? What should they be selling? How to package it up and how to market it? And so I essentially just brought along that entire knowledge of why well, I know what the products and services are that do sell in this area. I know what the customers are looking for. I know what the staff are that we need to make this go. And I know how to position it because I ran the pre-sales team in that previous business as well. So I know what the questions are. I know what the marketing is. I know what the salespeople need in terms of enablement and collateral. And so all of this stuff was sort of baked into that launch of cloud services. And the very first contract that we picked up uh, was for, I want to say about £365,000 in total. Now that almost completely paid for our hardware mm. investment in, in one contract. Mm. Um, and what we then went on to do was to revolutionize the services that we were doing on-premise. So hosted desktop was a really easy one. Uh, we built out a hosted desktop 
platform. Um, we marketed it as bronze, silver, gold. There was a, a 29, a 49, and a 79 per user per month package. Um, pretty much there was nothing in the 29 one. Everything that was in the 79 was a bit too much. So funnily enough, everyone just sort of huddled down to the Goldilocks zone of 49 uh, a user a month, and that sold like absolute hotcakes. Um, so we, we made a huge revenue stream doing that. We then shifted to doing hosted exchange mailboxes, still competing with 365 at the time. It was early, um, and Azure really wasn't quite there yet. Um, but the big thing that we did was we took Skype for Business, which was an on-premise deployment of about, I'm going to say six to eight physical servers. I might not be remembering it entirely correctly, um, but we virtualized that process. And we said, look, we're not going to put these physical servers on premise anymore. We're just going to spin them up on our cloud. We will connect to you with a, a leased line or some kind of gigabit connectivity. And all your phones will be in your office, but all of your phone calls will happen in our data center. Mm. And obviously this is something that, I mean, everyone gets that now with VoIP and um, Teams, of course. Um, but this was when Skype for Business was on-premise. And so, again, one of the first big projects we did was about a million pound contract. Um, and that was to host all of the phone system for University of London. Mm. Um, so it was like a thousand endpoints or 1200 endpoints, I, I want to say. Um, and it was absolutely fantastic. We took out all this old legacy equipment out of their office and built it on our cloud platform. And it was beautiful, absolutely beautiful. But again, we were sort of challenging people at that time. The techs were going, no, 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 it has to be on-premise latency. And I'm like, I don't think it does. I think it's going to work just fine. Let's do this. Um, so taking that, I'm sorry, coming screaming back to my point, taking that learning, what we also did at GCI was over the time I was there, 17 mergers and acquisitions. Um, so we acquired 17 other brands whilst I was there. And so ultimately I became part of the executive team that would do some of the P&L assessment to decide whether we were or weren't buying a business. When we were, we were always looking for what are we going to strip out of it in order to make it more profitable. I'm sorry, but we were PE backed. And so that's what we were doing. So we were looking at the people, the property, the products that they were using. Can we shorten the team? Can we close down offices? And can we consolidate the platforms, whether it's Autotask or Kaseya or any of those things, and simplify everything so it's all on less cost? Um, because money was all that mattered. It was mm. you know, PE, EBITDA, those were the numbers we heard every single day. Um, but having been through that process, and one of the most interesting things there was we actually bought a business out of administration, which was a company called Outsourcery, which was very, very big in the UK at the time, had a fantastic reputation, uh, was run by one of the stars of Dragon's Den. Um, well, he went on to be on Dragon's Den anyway. Um, we took that out of administration. Part of my personal really good feeling there is that we saved 120 jobs um, when we did that. Um, it was a huge undertaking within about a six week window to decide if we were going to do it or not. Um, did it, saved 120 jobs, absolutely, you know, smashed it in terms of looking after those people and also the customers and the service that came along with it. All of that learning has kind of led me to where I am today with Cloud Nexus, where we are a very small team. We're five people. Um, and we are good at what we're good at. We're very good at 365 and we're very good at Azure. Um, we don't do managed IT services, or rather we do, but we don't do them. We outsource them to someone who's absolutely fantastic at IT services. And so what we've chosen to do really is really stay in our lane at what we can hand on heart every time say we are amazing at. And that's just where we pour all of our energy and our enthusiasm and, and effort into 
staying up to date. I mean, that 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 one little niche that I've identified mm-hmm. is absolutely enormous, as I'm sure anyone listening knows. It's so hard to keep up. This is all we do, and, and we find it hard to keep up some days. But doing that, it's made it very clear for us. Like I've I've learned from the MA side of things, let's lay out all of our accounts from from minute one. You know, here's here's the line item that we're selling. Here's the cost of sale directly associated with that, and so we can quickly see at a glance which services of ours are are profitable, which ones are making money, which ones are, are dwindling, whether that revenue is climbing month on month or whether it's in decline, and so we can very quickly and easily decide: should we push more on these? Do we need to retire any of these things? What's working for the business? And it gives us a real clear trajectory on what to do next. I've learned very much to value people. Um, as I said, we came from PE-backed. EBITDA was all we cared about, money, money, money. People were the, the just the collateral. They were just the, the cost of doing business. And so wherever they could cut people out of the organization, lose people and not replace them and just dump that workload onto someone else, they absolutely would because they had promised things to their investors. They'd promised things to the, to the board. And if they weren't hitting it with sales targets, well, the margin still had to be there. So the only other way, if you're not bringing the sales in, is to cut costs. Well, the easy thing to cut on costs is people. And so we just consistently kept cutting people out and cutting people out. And it just made me realize that people weren't valued by that stage. We'd grown to a point where all we had was the sort of, you know, the money men to, to please, and we didn't care about people anymore. We didn't really care about customers anymore, if I'm very honest. It was all just about margin. Um, so we would sell things that weren't best for the client, so again, you know, right now I, I always look at things and say, well, Office 365 is a great product and a great service. Um, at the end of my sort of run there, we would always be selling our private cloud because our private cloud made 80% margin. Um, if we sold some Office 365 licenses, we'd maybe make 10 or 15%. Mm. Even though this was the best thing for the client and what they needed to grow and move forward, we would sell this because that was best for us. Um, and I just, I promise myself when we, you know, when we run this business, we'll always be really honest. We'll be very transparent. We will sell what's right for the customer or we'll advise what's right for the customer, even if we don't sell it. Even if they need to go and speak to someone else, we'll just go, hey, do you know what? You don't need this. What you actually need is this. And here's some great people I can plug you into, hopefully, and they're going to go and do a great job. We don't try and mark it up and sell it through and pretend it's us. So we, yes, yeah, we do Power BI, absolutely. And then and then hide it off to someone else. We don't do that. We just kind of go, hey, here's a Power BI bunch. They're really good. I think you're going to get on with them really well. And we introduce them. Um, so I've learned a lot, I think, just around people, around money. And that has kind of poured into everything we do with Cloud Nexus, keeping it really lean, keeping it a really small, friendly environment really trying to value people as much as possible. And I admit we don't always get that right, but it's it's our big passion is our people come first, then it's the customers, and then the money comes after that. Because I know if we look after the people, they look after the customers, and if the customers are happy, the money keeps coming in. And that just seems, again, seems really simple, but it's just something that I know works for us as a good approach. Yeah. 
And I, you've been able to do this because from day one, you've been in a leadership position. And to differentiate that from, again, that average MSP journey I was talking about earlier, the average MSP jumps into a doing position, don't they? They're, they're, they're right from day one, winning the first client, servicing the first client, and trying to win the second client. And you know, it's often they're playing catch up, they're adding in staff and resources as they need them. And you can spend five years like that, and you wake up five years later, a little chubbier, a little grayer, and uh, yeah, you've got a viable business that pays your mortgage and your bills. But it, but it's it's almost like you've 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 grown. It's almost like the jigsaw puzzle, but but you don't actually know what the picture is. Um, and and so you're trying to put the. Oh, I've just invented a new analogy. I'm gonna got to use that again. So you, you're trying to build a jigsaw puzzle, but you don't know how many pieces there are, and you don't know what the picture looks like. Now you, by the sound of it, because of your experience. Uh, being involved in in, in building a, a very much larger business from from scratch and seeing huge mistakes like focusing on cash, you know, focusing on focusing on margin, not people, which we all know is not the long term way to grow a business. You were able to come into this, I guess, with a more a more conscious model in your head of how you wanted it to be. How has that affected the growth of the business? Because you were never well. Hang on, Paul. Don't put any self limiting beliefs out there. It, it was unlikely you were going to grow a multi multi-million pound business you know in in just a couple of years but how how has the business grown in the four years that you've been running it yeah so it's it's a really great question and i i would also credit some of that work to um a couple of interesting books that I read at the outset. Uh, so as I started the business, The E-Myth Revisited mm. by Michael Gerber, I'm sure everyone's read it. If you haven't read it, go and read it because you're absolutely missing out, especially if you're like a one-man band MSP, go and bloody read it very quickly. Um, because in that book, uh, I love it. it. It makes it really clear that when you start a business and you're a technical expert at something, you have to plan out the whole organization chart of the business and realize that you need people in sales and marketing and legal and finance and yes, support and operations and technical. But day one, you occupy every single seat on that org chart. And if you carry on like that, it is very difficult to be sustainable. And I'm very much uh, an advocate for you know strong mental health, taking taking as much time as you can as a, as a business owner, so that you can take holidays, you can have weekends, you can have enjoyable time, and really trying to remove yourself from working in the business to working on the business. I know we we talk about that a lot, but. It's, it's been my entire mantra, my current mantra, and it has been for a couple of years now, make myself useless in my own business. Because if I can do that, the first part of it was, well, if I want to make a saleable business and I've bought businesses like this, if it's owner operated and owner managed and that owner's in the day-to-day -day and he's built, got the relationships with all the clients, when you buy that business, it falls apart. I know that because I've seen it done twice where we, we'd spent four, 13 million pounds on a business and it just completely crumbled because the owner wasn't there anymore. Um, so making myself useless was a strategy to say, if I do that, then actually I might have a saleable business and you know, who knows, maybe it will be worth a few hundreds of millions, who knows, it won't. Um, but the other side of that was, if I can truly make myself useless and the business runs and it does a great job and the people are happy and it pays me some money and I'm not doing anything day to day, mm -hmm. why would I sell it? because I've got something I love, I've got a team I love, and actually maybe I've got some other interests that I can run on the side or in parallel, who knows, 
but making myself useless was a huge part of, of my decision-making process as, as part of starting this business. Now, I've been speaking to some MSP owners in, in the last you know couple of weeks, and some of them have been in business for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, and they're still on their own. It's getting really bright wow. and sunny in here, so I hope that's okay for the video because uh, the sun's just come right around that corner <laughs> there. Um, but you know, to your point, the people who are starting from a tech perspective, they do need to get a handle on where can I outsource? Where can I partner? Where can I delegate? Because otherwise you don't get to have a holiday and you don't get to have you know time away. You, you spend time away with your family, but you've got your eye on the phone or on your emails. Um, and I remember being at a conference recently with a good friend of mine now, Tim Kidney over at Funky Mouse. Um, and we sat and we sat through the conference and you could see he was on the phone or tap, 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 tap on the phone or just respond to another email. Um, and I hadn't looked at my phone once and we had this great conversation about making yourself useless. Um, and I'm proud to say, you know, we're working with Tim recently to try and see how can we make him more useless in his own business. And the next conference I came to, he was so much more chill. Um, and I think that's something that, you know, owner operated, player managers, small MSPs have really got to get to grips with it in that kind of management team. How can you make yourself useless? It's my big challenge at the moment. Yeah, yeah, it's a great challenge. And, and uh, The E-Myth Revisited is an amazing book. It's, it's a book I read very early in my business journey. Um, the Modern Equivalent is Built to Sell by John Warrillow, which is, which is more or less the same book, but with, a, with a, a focus right on the get-go of, one day I'm going to sell this business, which I think we should all uh, have that approach. Although, as you say, Scott, quite rightly, if the business is paying you not to be there, why would you want to sell uh, a business like that? I guess because you wanted your 100 million and you wanted oh, well, your yacht. Obviously. Yeah, yeah I've got to go and buy the Lambo or something. <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah, exactly. These are just things. I know that it's nice to have a 700-foot you know, floating thing, but it's still just a thing. Okay, two, two more subjects uh, I want to ask you about before we wrap yeah. up. The first of them is that, that question of outsourcing. Now, I got into MSPs for the first time in 2016. And I, I just sold a healthcare marketing agency. I had a five-year non-compete, so I couldn't work with all the all the sectors I'd spent literally ten years building up a reputation in, and it was so frustrating because uh, I had to start from scratch. So I've, I've discovered. IT support people, enjoyed it immensely, discovered what managed services were. And then one day someone said to me, oh, um, I'm thinking of outsourcing to, and I think I'm sure they said to Continuum. And yeah. and, yeah, yeah. and I said, oh, what, what's this Continuum thing? And they said, oh, it's it's all these people sat in, in uh, I guess, America and, and the Philippines or wherever the, the Continuum op uh, operations used to be based. And they handle your help desk for you. And they do all the proactive server updates and stuff for you. And they're doing 24... And, and the more they talked about this, and bearing in mind, this is this is 2016, so this is before outsourcing really matured. And yeah. I, I remember saying to this MSP in the UK, I said, are you nuts? Why, why, why would you, you know, we've just had a conversation about how difficult it is to hire and keep staff, how much you hate your staff, how, how lazy you think they are. And then you're telling me that there's a company out there that will do all of this for you. And of course, where we got stuck was the, the owner... Uh, his his belief of, of the quality he needed to deliver to his clients was higher than what he believed Continuum could uh, mm -hmm. could deliver. Mm -hmm. Now I, yeah. I appreciate Continuum is now uh, is ConnectWise, isn't it? So it's 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 yeah. it's still there but different. And and that was not me passing a judgment on the quality. The point I was making here is yes, there was a quality gap. The the, the point I was trying to make 
inexperienced Paul at that point making that point, but I would make the same point today, is if there's someone out there that will take all of this away from you to allow you to focus on the most important things, which is customer service, stepping back and making sure the customers are happy, um, because it's better to step back and make the make the, sure the customer's happy than to sit there and reset a password for them yourself and, and then go out and get more customers and, and make sure those customers are buying more things from you so that everyone's happy. That, to me, sounds like a, a much more e-myth way of running the business. And it sounds like that was a decision that you made right from day one was that a hard decision or was it as simple as we've we've made it sound there like a no-brainer i know it was it was a hundred percent a simple decision day one we do not want to do end user support having run help desks and having tiers of engineers i know how hard it is to maintain a good quality first line service desk and then second line and escalation i also know the challenges of the sort of rotating you know staff that come in They'll get in the role, they'll get some experience under their belt at first line, and then immediately they can go up the road and get another 10,000 a year, you know, at a different IT provider. Um, and so it's really challenging to keep people in those roles, keep them entertained and keep them, you know, interested, especially when they get to second and third line. It's such a challenge. I wanted to bring them into a business where we could focus on 365 and Azure. And I didn't want them to get distracted by day-to-day Printers not printing, words not wording, whatever it is, um, and so I inst- I mean, Continuum was on my hit list. It was it was pre acquisition, so I went to look at them. Um, my criteria was very interesting because I wanted a UK based help desk. That was important to me because our target clients were in the UK, and I didn't want offshore. Offshore was something that had a bit of a negative connotation to it with all the banking that had been offshored and all the customer service that had been offshored. And we'd seen some of that experience be absolutely fantastic and some of it be dreadful. Um, and it was a concern to me enough that I said, I actually want something that's in this country. Um, and so there were only a handful of providers who could do that for us up time, the people that we ultimately chose being one of them. And the big draw with them was they were in the UK, they were MSP focused and they ran, I think it's six till six or seven till seven UK hours. Outside of those hours, they had a whole other team working in New Zealand doing the exact opposite set of hours from seven till seven. And I thought, Mm. okay, so either you're talking to someone in the UK or you're talking to a Kiwi and who doesn't like to talk to a bloody Kiwi? (laughs) I mean, that's just brilliant. Um, So that was immediately a great benefit. It also came, that service comes with uh, a PSA system, an RMM system, it comes with IT glue, three things we didn't have um, because we just started out. And I really didn't want to pay what would have been eight to $10,000 of onboarding fees to work with ConnectWise. I didn't have it, if I'm really honest. Mm. Um, So having a partner relationship like that um, where we could bring in all of those tools was just no-brainer straight away. Uh, where we're lucky, I suppose, is we were starting Greenfield. So as we then went out to those clients and said, hey, this is the service desk, this is how it works, every one of those clients knows that it's an outsourced service desk. Um, and we've, we've been transparent and we told them. And the reason that we've told them is that we've said, this is the stuff that we're absolutely amazing at. This is what they're amazing at. They run a service desk. They're absolutely fantastic at running first, second, third line. They answer all the calls within 60 seconds. They've got these SLAs. They've got ISO accreditations, all of this stuff. And you get that through us. And only one person ever said, well, can't we just buy it off them? I'm like, well, yeah. 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 
no, you can't because they only <laughs> sell to people like us. Yeah. So uh, you could probably find another person like us to buy it from. But the value that we add is the time spent with the client on the stuff that's important. What are you trying to get out of technology? What, what are you doing with your business? Where are you going? What support do you think you'll need? How can we, uh, you know, just advise and guide? Oh, we're, we're buying a new office or we're buying another company. Okay, great. Well, here are some things you need to think about. That's the valuable stuff that we can add versus resetting a password, fixing a printer, installing software, deploying a new laptop. All of that stuff gets handled by the support desk. And I'm not saying that's not valuable. What I'm saying is that is day-to-day -day operations that doesn't necessarily turn the dial on a client relationship. It can make or break one if the service is absolutely awful, but the the, the team that we picked, you know, and we took a reference calls with, with their existing clients, they're absolutely amazing. They do service desk better than we could ever hope to do service desk. And that makes them a perfect partner. Yeah. Now, I've had this conversation with MSPs where they just go, we can't outsource service desk because it is, it's the first point of contact for our clients. It's the most important part of the way that they experience us. It's this, it's this. Okay, I, I, I can understand that. But I'd also challenge it because when they're phoning service desk, it's because something's gone wrong. They need it fixed as quickly as possible. And as lovely and friendly as Johnny is on the first line service desk, they just need their problem fixed so they can get on with their day. The real relationships are built with the management team and supporting the business, not supporting the technology. And so I think that's a good way to look at it if you're wondering whether outsourcing service desk is good for you. Also, we did the maths. Um, we figured out what size of a team we would need to hire to look after a certain number of endpoints every month. And if we scale to those endpoints, how much would that cost using our outsourced service? It was the same cost. It's the same cost, except now I don't have a headache of, you know, another 10 staff to deal with. It's a complete no-brainer, isn't it? Okay, yeah. final question, Scott. Um, you've yeah. been so generous with your time, uh, but I, I'm afraid I have to prove that uh, Scott Riley is fallible uh, yes. because I, I want to talk about marketing. And in fact, the when, when you and I met and shook hands for the very first time and I'd, I'd seen you on stage, uh, and uh, you, one of the first things you admitted to me that was that you'd spent uh, a, a not inconsiderable amount of money on marketing and got absolutely zero return. So tell us, tell us what you did that didn't work and then and tell us what you're doing now that hopefully is working better for you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, let me tell you what didn't work. So I think the figure we touted was about £40,000. And I've been doing the maths and we're, we're, we're not far off that. So let's call that $50,000 just to help our, our US chums. $50,000, not a single lead, not one. Okay. Um, Let's tell you some things that didn't work. Um, so I worked with a Facebook ads expert um, who was recommended. They work with MSPs all the time and they craft Facebook ads and they guarantee leads. It sounded amazing. Um, we started working with them. We ran for four months. Now, I appreciate you might say to me, Scott, you didn't give it long enough. Oh, I will take that feedback. Uh, however, the adverts that we were getting were things like, oh, uh, I'm looking at one now. We made a list of 23 Android apps that could be spying on your kids. Find out if your family is at risk. Click here to download. Uh, okay. Um, more than 300 Android apps have been identified and they're used by hackers putting dangerous new malware on your phone. Find out if your phone is affected. And I was like... This is some real clickbaity crap. I would not click on this stuff. But this was the quality of stuff that they were putting out. Now, we spent 
let's do it in dollars. We spent $8,100 with that agency just for them to do the consultancy and build the ads, run the ads. We then spent another $4,000 on Facebook ad spend. So in total, we spent $12,000 and got absolutely zero leads. My feedback, I, I wrote to them and I just said, look, I just need to check in. These adverts are really clickbaity. Um, I won't swear, but I did swear in the email. <laughs> I don't feel this is representative of, of our brand or our culture, so these need to stop. Mm. Happy to A-B test. Now, this, this, this. And my whole thing was, I want to see us as offering value, not, hey, we've got all the secrets. If only you click this button and download our PDF, then we'll share them with you. I, that wasn't us. So I didn't want those clickbaity schemes, but... They just couldn't get it. That was how they worked. $12,300 down the drain. Next, we partnered up with people who wrote blogs for us on our website. Lovely people, MSP focused. Uh, we spent $2,000 having them write blogs because we thought it would help with our SEO and ranking and all that kind of stuff. It really didn't. Um, they wrote some wonderful blogs, but once again, they were super generic um, and they did not represent our brand. This is not in any way trying to put any scathing remarks on Paul or MSP Marketing Edge. That's not what this is about. Oh, so it, well, it wasn't us. We didn't it do it. Wasn't <laughs> it wasn't you. Let's be really clear. It was, it was not Marketing Edge. Yeah. Um, but it was it was something that we, we wanted to do. We wanted to scale. We wanted to get quality content on the website, but it wasn't us and it didn't sound like mm. us. And I think because of that, it didn't work. Um, and and the, this was all leading that lesson of this just doesn't sound like us. $2,000 gone. Um, we worked with a LinkedIn lead generation expert, uh, someone who's in the MSP community, very well known in the MSP community, very well connected. Um, and their idea was they'll go on LinkedIn and they'll connect with people. They'll look for people who are maybe looking for our type of services and they would recommend us in. Um, we spent $4,000 uh, for no leads. We sponsored an esports event for $2,200, which was an absolute shambles. And we mm -hmm. barely even got to see anybody. Um, we hired a PR firm. Um, that seems like a really sensible thing to do. We spent $15,000. Um, we did appear in Forbes online magazine. Uh, I managed to get four lines uh, commenting on Windows 11 updates. That wasn't a great use of time. Um, so yeah, so I think I've, I've already blown past $50,000 just yeah. talking about those things. I don't want to harp on too much, but here's, here's my takeaway. We were desperate for leads and, and many people had what looked like a great promise. It looked like the, the quick answer. It looked like they could turn things around if we threw enough money at it. And it was the throwing enough money at it that seemed really convincing. I mean, this guy's charging $8,000 for his consultancy. And, and, you know, we can, we can put Facebook ads on top, but just to get his knowledge, it's $8,000. Wow, this guy must be amazing. He works with MSPs all the time. He's got a proven track record of lead generation. This must be the answer. We're just, we're dumb if we don't take $8,000 and immediately throw it at him. Uh, we weren't dumb. We, we completely misjudged that situation. And we ended up with a load of things that didn't represent us or our brand. We did exactly the same thing with the blogs. We did exactly the same thing with the lead gen. And we did the same thing with the PR. A lot of that stuff just wasn't us. Do we really care about Windows patching updates and making comments? I think we ended up writing an article for someone on how to mirror your screen to a second screen. And yeah. okay. Um, none of that stuff was the right audience. It wasn't representative of our brand and it was far too much money. Mm -hmm. um, 
So I would wholeheartedly encourage you. On the one hand, I'm saying, hey, go and partner and outsource with, you know, with people who can do your service desk. If they align with your values and if they align with your, you know, your company and they're going to treat your customers the way you want them to be treated. If you're going to outsource marketing, you have to work with people who know you, know your business and will represent your brand really well. Um, now, ultimately, and this is a benefit because we're in the UK and I'm really sorry for US and, and other people all around the world, but we have a wonderful apprenticeship scheme here in the UK. Um, so we hired a digital marketing apprentice. Um, what that basically means is that we get the first year of someone at absolutely hardly any salary whatsoever. It costs us buttons um, and they are fully trained by the government on a, a series of funded courses. Um, we hired a young girl called Kaylee who turned out to be the best thing that we ever did. Uh, in the first year, her salary was 13,000 uh, pounds. Let's go again, call it $15,000. So reasonable, sig significantly less than even one of those marketing tactics that we tried. But now we had 100% full-time focus, someone that we could, I was going to say indoctrinate, but that's not what I mean. Someone that we could really bring into the brand and bring the brand to life and, and live our culture and our values and then find the best way to represent those online for us. And so, you know, yes, we bought a fancy Apple Mac. Yes, we bought cameras and lighting and all kinds of stuff like that. We've probably spent about $20,000, including that first year salary. The returns have been phenomenal. Yeah. We've we've made YouTube videos, LinkedIn videos. We are constantly on LinkedIn, or um, you you will see us on socials all the time. I, I always walk up to people at events that I've never met before, and they go, "Oh my god, I've heard your podcast. I've seen mm -hmm. your videos. I watched that stupid thing you did with Darth Vader the other day." Just that's the power that it's having because we're just staying top of mind and and really being present, and that is a powerful thing. It's a yeah. slow burn, but it does pay off. I can point to one video that we made. It was a six minute video. It's the most boring video we've ever made, but it was about how much does team's voice cost really? Um, that one video has brought in over 90,000 pounds worth of consultancy. And that's just one we've, we've made hundreds. We've launched our own, um, training course now, uh, which is our little masterclass program. There's 120 videos in there that we've made. And all of this stuff has been thanks to us having someone in our business who can genuinely really align with us and do a fantastic job. Amazing. I could continue talking to you for hours, Scott, but sadly, we've run out of time. I know on a podcast, even there, you run out of time. So <laughs> tell us tell us why you're here. What do you do to help other MSPs? Because I know you are uh, the, the kind of guy that loves to help other people. What, what can you do to help MSPs and how can we get in touch with you? Yeah, absolutely. We, you know, we, we do a huge amount of work with MSPs as, as an organization, but me personally, I love to just help and, and provide advice and guidance wherever I can. So if anyone's interested, if, if anything I've said so far today has resonated, or you just like to chat and laugh about some more of my mistakes, I'm, I'm always happy for that. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. You can email me scott uh, at cloudnexus.co.uk. I'm very easy to find, I would say on LinkedIn, but I just love to share any, any of the pain and hassle and challenges that we've been through, if it helps one person not make that mistake, I'm, I'm always happy to share and provide guidance. Coming up. Coming up next week. Hi, I'm Merit Khan and the ABC is about me. I'm an author, business owner, and a consultant and comedian. And we're gonna be talking about the Open for Business framework, three pieces of the puzzle that every business owner and MSP needs to know 
to be successful in business for the long term. Right, we're back to our usual format next week. And on top of that interview with Merrick Khan, we'll be discussing why it's so dangerous to let your salespeople use their own personal LinkedIn accounts when they are pursuing new leads. Join me next Tuesday and have a very profitable week in your MSP. Made in the UK. For MSPs around the world. Paul Green's MSP, MSP Marketing Podcast.